Welcome, friends, to the Living Truth Podcast. This is your host, Michael Carey, and our guest on this episode is Dr. Mark Verkler. Welcome back, Dr. Verkler, and thanks so much for being on another episode. Michael, it's great to be here. Mm -hmm. If you did not um, catch the last episode, which was on his book, The Four Keys of Hearing God's Voice, um, you definitely want to go back and listen to that one as well. Uh, But this one is certainly going to do well for you as a standalone. Uh, But Dr. Verkler is a founder of Communion with God Ministries and president of Christian Leadership University and author of over 50 books and uh, some incredible material. The one book that I want to focus on today is called Counseled by God. And I remember just uh, hearing that title was so intriguing to me because of the, the hours and hours and hours of Christian counseling that I had, that I had invested in. And, and it was great. It was worth it. You know, um, looking back, uh, this material would have helped me out so much more going through all that counseling. And I'm sure I would have, uh, I, I would have needed, needed less hours in the counseling office and more hours at the feet of Christ. Um, so that's, that's kind of the premise of some of this, if I'm uh, mistaken, anything that you want to add into that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's absolutely perfect. And Jesus says one of his names is he's the wonderful counselor, Prince of Peace, wonderful counselor. Well, the only way you can be a wonderful counselor to me is if I can actually hear his voice, because if I can hear his voice and go talk to him and say, okay, God, I really, I really hate myself right now. And I really hate my wife right now. And I really hate my marriage. So before I blow everything up, you want to tell me anything about it? And then I can tune to his voice and he can talk to me about it and let me see that myself and my marriage and my wife as he sees us. That's called wonderful counsel. And that's, and it's totally free. It's available any minute of any day because he's Emmanuel, God with me. Don't have to pay a penny. Don't have to go to an office. All I got to do is just ask and then hear his voice, which we covered in that first session. Uh, Use the four keys, quiet myself down, picture Jesus next to me. He's got a big smile on his face. I put a big smile on my face. I tune to flow and I write from flow. And he says, Mark, and, and I begin to write what he's saying to me. And he has just become my wonderful counselor. He's addressed the core issue, the heart attitudes, the heart motivations, the pictures I'm looking at. And he, I mean, it's a million dollar counseling session available any moment of any day, free of charge by my creator and sustainer. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I was just thinking about Isaiah 61. Uh, he wants to bring healing to the brokenhearted. And I think that uh, he promised that in um, when he opened up the the um, uh, scroll to and and landed right there in Isaiah when he announced his ministry and and uh, I think that's exactly what he wants. So why wouldn't we take advantage of it? You know, and um, some of the reasons I think is uh, because well, it, you know, it is incredibly vulnerable. But um, when we really have the heart where we really want to be healed, we really want to understand, he's got all the answers, you know? Um, but we can oh, fake hold, it. Hold, hold, hold it. Why is it vulnerable? What makes it vulnerable? Well, in, when you're sitting there in front of a, a counselor, um, in a counselor's office, uh, people, you know, he, he has limited access, uh, a lot of them do, unless they're tuning into the voice of God themselves, the counselor themselves. But um, 
when you go before God, it's more vulnerable because he, he knows everything about you. <laughs> Whereas sitting in the counselor's office, he does not know all of the things that God knows necessarily. That's you know, more vulnerable. I, I, I thought you were going to that point. And, you know, I used to believe that if I didn't tell God about my deepest sins and, and desires and lust and anger issues, he maybe wouldn't know about them. But, of course, that's a joke. I mean, he already knows all of this stuff. And if, if Satan convinces me that I should be too afraid of Jesus to talk to him about it, then I never come to the light so the light can dispel my darkness. But mm -hmm. since he already knows about it, I might just well tell him, hey, God, I am badly with lust and I can't overcome it. So do you have any, input, you know, any insight on how to fix this? You know, I mean, what he's going to say back is going to be priceless. And he already knows I got the issue. And, and now I'm not trying to scrub myself clean before I come to him, which, of course, is called religion, which, of course, is not Christianity, which, of course, is what the Pharisees did. Let's clean ourselves up and then come to God. No, I come to God and let him clean me up. Christ has become my sanctification. I don't sanctify myself and then come to Jesus and say, look, I'm pretty clean now. I go to him and say, mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a total wreck, uh, but I do need your input, and I know that you're loving and kind. So what would you like to say here? So I learned, mm -hmm. look, he already knows all my issues. And if I try to clean up without telling him, letting him do the job, it's not even Christianity. It's just religiosity. And it's mm -hmm. sick, and it doesn't work, and it's worthless. So just stop it. It's, it's foolish behavior. It's insane behavior. And it's not mm -hmm. going to get the job done because I don't have enough strength to clean myself up. Only the most high God has almighty power who can clean me up. So mm -hmm. coming to grips with that makes it not hard to, to be transparent with Jesus. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and yeah, that um, was great segue to the question I had in mind. In the book, you mentioned the idea that we tend to think spiritual growth is our responsibility. But it isn't necessarily true, right? And I always thought this, you know, it's my responsibility. I think it's my responsibility to to get up and to to uh, seek it, you know, but um what did you mean when you when you said that in the book? It's not our responsibility. Well, you know, the Bible says in Corinthians that Christ has become to us several things, but one is our sanctification. He's become my sanctification. And I put on Christ also says that I put on Christ by faith. He says the best of my works is filthy rags. So, so I put on the righteousness that is by faith. So righteousness that is by faith is, is Christ's righteousness, which I believe is available to me as a cloak, which I can put on just like a woman puts on a wedding dress, beautiful white dress, walks down that aisleway, radiantly beautiful. See, that's what you and I get to do. We get to put on Christ's robe of righteousness, which is beautiful, shining, glowing white. And we put that on by faith. And that's who we now are. Okay, we are, we are the righteousness of God in Christ, right? Um, both, both inside and outside. I mean, he's formed within, plus I'm clothed without. I mean, and, and there's different pieces to this, you know. I'm just talking about the clothes without right now. We can talk about forming within too, we probably should. Um, but I but I gotta see something. I can see myself walking down the road of life, picture myself as a miserable, filthy, no good sinner. And if I do, 
I'm picturing a lie because that's not what the Bible says I am. The Bible says I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and I'm clothed with his righteousness. If I'm going to picture a lie, speak a lie, and believe a lie, then I get to live a lie, and I get to live in depression, get to live in the dumpster, and get to live in defeat, and get to not be a spirit-filled Christian, spirit-anointed, spirit-transformed Christian who disciples nations. I've lived a lie in the past because I didn't know any better. I don't do that anymore because now I know better. And I'm very, very careful to make sure the things I'm picturing are God. So, so yeah, Christianity is God's work. It's not mine. People talk about setting their will. In my early Christian days, I would set my will to keep a law which I found in the Bible. I'd say, oh, look at there. I'm not supposed to hate. I'm not supposed to fear. I'm not supposed to lust. So I would set my will not to do these things. I'd have this knockdown, drag out battle because it's my will fighting against myself. So it's self fighting against self, which means nobody's going to win because self is as strong as self is. So it's a constant ongoing battle of, of Romans chapter seven. You know, I'm trying to keep the law and I can't keep the law and I'm condemned and yuck. There's no reason to be alive here. So Paul gets out of that mess by going to Romans eight. And says, oh, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and he talks about the Holy Spirit in Romans eight. And, um, he says, it's, it's, it's a spirit that gives me life. So how do I set my will? I don't set my will to keep Bible laws. That's an improper, ungodly, unbiblical use of my will. It's wrong. I set my will to come to Jesus <laughs> and say, Jesus, <laughs> I am really struggling right now because I really hate everybody, <laughs> including myself. So before I go and shoot everybody, including myself, I think I'm going to chat with you about it and let them. Tell me, how do you see this person? How do you see me? And I'm going to tune to flow, use the four keys, tune to flow. And I'm going to journal. He's going to tell me how loving I am, how, how beautiful I am, how lovable I am, how beautiful that person is I want to kill, you know, and how their heart is wounded and how I should pour some healing oil in. He's going to say all those things in a paragraph of journaling. And I'm going to be transformed while I look. Not at things which are seen, which things which are seen are laws in the Bible I can see. Transformed not by things which are seen, but things which are unseen. I looked in the spirit realm. I saw what Jesus was doing, standing next to that person that I hated or next to me that I hated. And I let him speak. And that transformed me from a hater to a healer because the wonderful counselor counseled me. So I don't set my will to obey biblical laws. I set my will to come to Jesus and ask him to circumcise my heart, cut out the evil, Cut out the weakness. Give me a new heart. Give me a new spirit. Anoint me with power. You know, that's, that's the only biblically proper way to set your will. Anything else is a sin and it's wrong. It's ineffective. It does not work. In chapter three and four of Counsel by God, you discuss the importance of recognizing the voice of the accuser and the wonderful counselor, and then incubating is what you called it. I love that. Incubating in Christ alone. And that's, um, that's a little bit of what you're talking about that you know, happened to you along the way. Incubating in Christ is, is what uh, so big key to setting you free. So can you, get, can you walk us through a little bit of those pieces of recognizing these two um, voices inside of us, if you will, and incubating in Christ alone? Sure. Yeah. Glad to do that, Michael. Um, you know, there's, there's three, three kinds of thoughts in my mind. Analytical thoughts, which are mine. Two plus two is four. four. That's me thinking. Uh, connected thinking, that's mine. Spontaneous flowing thoughts that come from the river of the Holy Spirit, 
Uh, that's coming from Jesus. That's his voice. And that's those thoughts are going to be thoughts, spontaneous flowing thoughts that line up with the names of Jesus. It's wonderful counselor. They're teaching. They're edifying. They're exhorting. Um, they give life. They give joy. They give peace. They give all the fruits of the spirit. So that's his voice coming as spontaneous flowing thoughts in my mind. That's category two. Category three is also flowing thoughts because there's in the spirit world, there's evil spirits as well as the Holy Spirit. And evil spirits communicate the same way the Holy Spirit does. They, they communicate by ways of spontaneous flowing thoughts, which is why we take every thought captive. we we'll fight it against principalities and powers, and the devil can put things in our heart. Like, why did Satan put into your heart to betray Jesus? You know, So we know Satan can put spontaneous thoughts in our, our heart. So a spontaneous thought that came from an evil spirit would be anything that, thing that lines up with the name of Satan. He's an accuser. So accusative thoughts are demonic. Adversarial thoughts are demonic, uh, lies. Um, see, he's a thief that steals, kills, and destroys by faith, hope, and love. A thought like, you know what? You're never going to change. Your marriage is never going to improve. You're never going to win this sin. Those are all thieving th thoughts that are thieves, which steal my faith, hope, and love. Those are all coming from demons. Mm -hmm. So I simply say, in the name of Jesus, I bind that demon. I command you to leave in Jesus' name. I address it as a demon. It is a demon. I'm going to not assume it's my thought. It's a demon. I'll address it as a demon and say, in the name of Jesus, shut up and leave now. So I'm taking the thought captive. So my thoughts don't rule my mind. I rule my thoughts. Okay, so those are the three categories. Out of those three categories, I only want spontaneous thoughts that line up with the name of the Holy Spirit. I rule out the other two categories. Do not allow those to place. I take them captive and say, out of here. Uh, no need to have Mark Berkeley's thoughts because my thoughts aren't his thoughts. So skip me thinking. Don't need demons talking to me. Skip them. The only one I'm going to go with is spontaneous thoughts that line up with the names of Jesus. Now, that cleans up just about 90% of people's issues. So now we're going to come to the incubation process. Because if I decide to only incubate God's thoughts, that means I'm going to fill the five senses of my spirit with God's thoughts and visions so I can birth the kingdom in my life. And the five senses of our spirit, this is the incubation process. I have ears in my heart that can hear a rainbow word, so that's a flowing thought from Jesus. I have the eyes in my heart that can see a vision, that's a flowing picture from Jesus. And then I ponder that, I speak that, and I act that, and I birth a miracle. Now, Abraham, the father of faith, allowed God to fill all five of those senses with, with God. In Genesis chapter 12, God gives him a rainbow word and says, I'm going to make you really, really great. <laughs> you know, leader of nations, you know? And when I journal, God tells me the great things he's going to do through my life. And I, and I used to try to explain to God why he obviously couldn't do that because I'm not that great. He said, I'm not going to do it with your power and strength. I'm going to do it with my power and strength. If you just simply learn to say yes, Lord, instead of explain to me why you're in, unable. Of course, you're unable and you're natural to do the supernatural, but I'm giving you the anointing to be supernatural. So don't say you can't do it. Say yes, Lord. So I've learned to say yes, Lord. And I encourage you all to say yes, Lord, to the powerful things he wants to do through you, which are 100 times bigger than anything you ever dreamed you could do yourself. So he's got a rhema word, Abraham does, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 15, that's the first sense of his spirit filled. Um, ears of his heart that can hear a rhema. Now the eyes of his heart get filled in Genesis 15, 5 and 6. Genesis 15, verse 5, uh, he's in a dream. Verses 1 through 5, God's given him a vision in a dream, because God does speak through dreams. The Bible's clear about that. One third of the Bible are stories that come out of actions people took from their dreams and revelation they got from God in their dreams. So let's let God speak that way too. Um, 
God shows him a vision of the promise fulfilled. He said, see those millions of stars? Even though you don't have a single kid, you're going to have millions of kids. And man, that's what I need. I, I need a vision from God that I can fix my eyes on of the promise fulfilled. Like, like when my marriage hasn't, wasn't everything I hoped it could be, and, I, and Satan said, your wife can never meet your needs. And God said, yes, she can. And you can meet her needs, and she can meet your needs. And here's a beautiful picture of what a fulfilled marriage looks like when you both honor and respect and give yourself one to another. And when you see that picture, the next verse says, then Abram believed. Faith is inflamed, like, oh my gosh. When I had a torn ligament in my knee, I asked God for a rhema word. He said, yeah, I've healed it. Ask him for a vision. He said, here's a picture of you on the beach with your grandson, leaping from side to side, throwing the Frisbee back and forth. Hmm. Well, with a torn, torn ligament, you don't leap from side to side. I held that vision. I believed it. I spoke it. I got to hold some picture. I can hold a picture. I'm going to be crippled, or I can hold that picture. So I held that picture, and two years later, I was on the beach with my grandson throwing Frisbee and leaping from side to side. So, yeah, some of these things take a long time. I mean, for Abraham, it took 25 years to fulfill this, this particular vision. I have explained to God 25 years is way too long, but he writes the rules, so I have to say, yes, Lord. So... So he's got two, two, vision, two senses filled. That's conception, hears and sees. Now he's going to incubate, um, ponder, speak, and act. And um, so it says in, in Romans chapter 4 that Abram pondered these things, all right? And uh, so, got to, so he's going to mull over that picture and that rhema word. I mean, uh, I'm going to mull something in my mind, like my wife can't meet my needs and I can't meet hers, or I can meet her needs and she can meet mine. I'm going to ponder something, a lie or the truth, a picture that contains a lie or a truth. And a picture is worth a thousand words, so you better, you better picture a fascinating marriage, because if you don't picture it, you're not going to have it, okay? Whatever you picture, you're going to get, because what you picture is a thousand times more powerful than what you think and what you say. We, we say a picture is worth a thousand words. The Bible says that. When God gave Abram a picture of vision fulfilled, the next verse says, then he believed. That is a verse that says a picture is worth a thousand words. So you got to have a picture of the promise fulfilled. So that's the third sense of his spirit. Okay, so, so he's pondering, I'm going to speak it. Now it says, look, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham. He's 99 years of age. The word Abraham means I'm the father of many nations. <laughs> Newcomer shows up in town and he says, I'm the father of many nations. Uh, and the guy says, uh, and uh, where's your kid? He's oh, inside my, my dummy here. They're coming up too, you know. <laughs> I mean, you look like a moron. Like if you're confessing, I have a perfect marriage, fascinating marriage. I meet my wife's needs. She meets my, it's absolutely the top. Well, can I see it yet? Well, no, it's still in the incubation process. It's in the spirit world. I see it very clearly there, but it hasn't manifest yet. Mm. Are, are you going to say that or you're not? You're going to say, I'm not going to say that until it happens. God says, look, if you don't say it, it's never going to happen. He said, if I didn't speak the worlds into existence, they would never come into existence. you got to speak it. And then it says, what you say shall happen. That's Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 24. What you say, when you speak to a mountain, it shall happen. So you speak first, and, and that's part of the creative process. And don't have an abortion by not saying, I'm not going to say it until it shows up. You say it before it shows up, because you already see it in the spirit realm, already complete. And you believe that what's in the spirit world is more real than what's in the physical world, and uh, therefore, you are calling the spirit world into the physical world, and you are birthing the supernatural. So he speaks it, and then he acts on it. So, so he's 99 years of age. He speaks this. And then God tells him to circumcise his family. All right? So 
He says the very same day that God told him to circumcise his family, he did it. So it's instant, total obedience. Yes, Lord, you tell me to do it, I do it. Now, he wasn't always there because chapter 12, when God said, leave your family and relatives in Ur of Chaldees, he didn't leave his relatives, he brought them with him. So he's half obedient. So you and I, I started my I walk with God in half obedience. I said, well, God, I can believe you for a bit of this, but I can't believe for all of it. God said, okay, we'll start there. But you eventually have to come to a point where you totally believe him and you act in total faith on what he says. And that's what Abram does. Very same day, it says, and up to Acts chapter 17, I believe now. Or uh, Genesis chapter 17. So then um, chapter 20, Genesis chapter 20, um, uh, the promise is fulfilled. In the fullness of time, they... they uh, mm -hmm. Isaac is born, okay, Sarah becomes pregnant, Isaac's born, and, and um, a, a miracle is birthed, okay, so it's a, it could be a healed marriage, it could be whatever, it could be, it could be becoming a multimillionaire, it could be whatever promises God has given to you, right, and to me, and multiple promises in multiple areas, area after area, you know, in, of our lives, uh, physical health, financial health, relational health, he's got promises and visions in every single one of those areas, of course, in the meantime, while they're waiting 25 years for God to do this, they get impatient, and so they they have to walk through death of a vision. So, so, so his wife Sarai says, "Look, you know, I since I can't have a child, let's have a committee meeting. Let's see if we can't think of a way to pull this baby, this vision off." Because God gave you the vision, and the committee meeting was, uh, you know, you can go to my wife, my handmaiden, and you can have a child through her. So. Abram listens to the voice of Sarai. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, you know, it's okay to listen to the voice of my wife as long as she's listening to the voice of God. Mm -hmm. If she's not listening to the voice of God, then I shouldn't be listening to her voice. And if I'm not listening to the voice of God, I shouldn't be listening to my voice either. You know, I mean, <laughs> if it didn't come from God, you don't give it two cents, all right? So Abram listens to the voice of Sarai, sure enough, bears a child but it's a dead work because it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It came from man's ideas. And the first foundational doctrine in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 is repentance from dead works. Get over yourself. Stop doing things on your own. Let God tell you what to do. Live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 25. So, um, so they have a child, grows up, he's 12 years of age, and God's, and Abram says, shows him off. So you, you, know, you like this, God? You know, it's pretty good. You know, you gave us the, a vision, and we worked hard, and we pulled it off. And God says, excuse me, no. Right. I'm not accepting this. At which point you kind of have a cursing fit and say, well, God, then what the hell do you want? You know, mm -hmm. you gave me a vision, and I worked my hardest to do it, and you're not taking it. He said, I didn't ask you to work your hardest. I asked you to come to me, listen to my voice, take a walk with me in the garden, the cool of the day, hear my voice, and do what I say. That's what I asked you to do. And that's not what you did. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to accept this. So, of course, that's a great time to backslide, throw fit, throw tantrum. <laughs> You know, and um, I've done a few of those for sure, you know, but so I've learned not to concoct stuff on my own. Not, I don't think I've thought on my own for 40 years. I gave it up for Lent permanently because if my thoughts are not his thoughts, why in the world would I spend time thinking on my own, even though my culture says that's the God you should worship? It's your analytical thinking. God does mm -hmm. not say that. That's a, a false God called rationalism, and I have rejected it. And in favor of the true God. All right, that's the incubation process. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And yeah, I remember reading through that uh, and all of the the story of 
Abram, Abraham, uh, and how you bring that about. Uh, it's really, really a great reference point. So we could come to God and ask him, um, how, how should I parent my children? How can I have a better marriage? What, what kind of job should I have? Should I change jobs? Should I move? Should I, we can come to God for counsel on anything in our life. And I think, you know, when you, you mentioned it and, and of course it comes across in, in Abraham's story as well, the timing isn't always in our timing. And we think that it's going to happen immediately, right? We think this is, this is going to happen tomorrow, but not necessarily true. And I think, uh, you mentioned, and um, well, I've read several of your books. I think it's in Counsel by God, but it, you know, irrelevant. What um, is the danger of asking God for specific timing? Like, when is this going to happen, God? Next month? Next week? Next year? <laughs> what, what's yeah. the what's the danger in asking for that? Yeah, that doesn't work out well at all. You know, because I think the future is in flux, and I think it's based on the way we are responding to God as to what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day. I mean, Jonah, uh, yeah, he's a prophet, a mature prophet, goes to Nineveh and says, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. Well, that's a date given by a prophet. I think it was truly what God told Jonah to say. But then, of course, 40 days comes and goes, and God does not destroy Nineveh. And so Jonah's all depressed and said, see, I knew that you, you know, don't, you know, that people repent, you, you change your mind. And so I didn't want to say this in the first place, you know, and, and that's the principle because God clearly says on a couple of occasions in the Bible, if I say I'm going to do a certain, I'm going to destroy a nation because of wickedness and that nation repents and I'll repent of what I said and I'll bless them. If I say I'm going to bless a nation because it's righteousness and the nation does wickedness, I will curse them. So God is saying, look, everything I say I'm going to do is dependent upon your response back. Do you say yes, Lord, and obey me? Or do you screw around? You know, if you say yes, Lord, then the timing is going to be one way. If you muck up, it's going to be another way. And that's why timing, if it involves man's will, which almost every predictive event does involve man's will, is really in flux. And, and um, it's predictive prophecy. It doesn't work well at all. It didn't work well for Jonah. It doesn't come to pass because God is, does change his mind. And that's why I've, I'd suggest people don't go there. Don't go for dates. Um, when I've gone for dates, they've mostly all been wrong. Now, what that did in my early days of hearing God's voice is it shattered my faith. I thought, oh, my gosh, if uh, God wasn't right here, then maybe none of my journeys right. So maybe I'll just throw it all in a dumpster, you know, and I'll go back to living on a biblical law and be a Pharisee. You know, I mean, I tried that for three or four days. I said, well, this is depressing. I'm not going to live this way. You know, so I come back to God again. So I had back and forth times because I didn't know that there's categories to which I should constrict my journaling. And the categories are found in 1 Corinthians 14.3, uh, prophecy, journaling is God speaking prophetically to you and to me. Prophecy comes for three things, edification, build me up, edification to encourage me along a path of action. Mark, love your wife. <laughs> Just the way I made her, don't try to change it, love your wife. <laughs> and he told me that like 50 times before I had this brainstorm say, I think I'm going to love Patty just the way he made her and not try to change her to become more like Mark Burke for part two. And that improved my marriage. Patty said her marriage improved greatly when I learned how to journal because I stopped pressuring her to be what I thought she should be. And I, and I just started doing what the Lord said. So prophecy comes for edification, exhortation. Mm -hmm. That was exhortation and comfort is like, Hey, you know, your sins washed away. You repented. It's a learning curve mistake. Come on, let's celebrate. You can celebrate the learning curve mistakes. You can learn 
twice as much from a mistake as you can from doing it right. So uh, let's party, all right? So edification, exhortation, and comfort. None of those are predictive guidance. None of those have dates woven into them. Mm -hmm. If yeah. you restrict your journaling and your communion with God to those three categories, it'll be a million-dollar gift. And if you go outside of that to predictive uh, dating of the future, it's going to be a real mucky mess. And you're going to have lots of mistakes and lots of discouragement. So I say restrict your journaling to those three categories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know in the, in the Four Keys to Hearing God's Voice book, you talk about praying with an idol in your heart. And um, I think that... That, that can certainly happen in this case, too, because we want what we want now, and uh, mm -hmm. or we want God's blessing right away, and that um, uh, that could come out um, in a real negative way. Um, but in Counsel by God, uh, you move into several vital chapters on some direct healing that we all need. You talk about moving from anger to love, uh, moving away from depression. And uh, so, so you, you really pinpoint some, some, uh, vital areas of life. Um, but one, one thing I wanted to highlight and ask you to elaborate on is in chapter nine, um, chapter nine is inferiority to identity, which is extremely important. I think we touched on that a little bit already, the identity. Um, and I hear this a lot from, from guys, there's a lot of confusion, I think um, started back in the 1930s with Alcoholics Anonymous and saying, uh, hi, I'm Michael and I'm an alcoholic, you know, and there's a lot of guys who say this, um, yes, I'm Michael and I'm a sex addict, right? Uh, to, to say if I'm addicted to pornography or um, sex and, and so on, and I have this ongoing problem that I can't seem to stop on my own with my own power. Confession, confessing this is... Um, uh, gonna gonna be helpful. I think it's you know the idea of confessing that I'm I'm defeated. I, I can't do this on my own is important, but but bringing that on as the identity of someone I think is uh, actually harmful. I'm a sex addict because I think if you're you know if I keep saying that I'm an addict, how does addict how does an addict behave? Eventually, I'm gonna have a relapse, right? So, yep. mm -hmm. yeah, I totally understand what you're saying um we're back to what the lord said to me 40 years ago he said mark whatever you fix your eyes on grows within you whatever grows within you you become i fix my eyes on the fact that i'm a victim or i'm an addict then i become a victim or i become an addict you know and, and god says well here's who you really are i am the righteousness of god in christ jesus i can do all things through christ who strengthens me um i'm transformed while I look, not at things which are seen, but things which are not seen. I look in the spirit world. I see Jesus. I abide in Jesus. And his light fills me and floods me. And his power engulfs me and flows out through me and transforms me. He circumcises my heart. He cuts out my evil heart. He gives me a new heart, which is righteous, which is pure, which is powerful, which is anointed. And I have been anointed by him to disciple all nations. I have been anointed by him to transform the world, and uh, I say yes to that identity. I am a world changer, all right? I mean, that's you can confess your identity in Christ, and the way to do that is just read through all the epistles on being in Christ and having Christ in you, and just look up those verses and just speak them over yourself and say, this is me, this is who I am. And when you journal, God's going to tell you who he is. 
and, and it's going to blow your mind because you're going to say, really? You see me that way? Really? You, I, um, I don't see myself that When I went to Word of Faith Church to learn faith because I was a mighty man of fear, doubt, and unbelief and hated myself for it, they told me to confess that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So I confessed it a hundred times. But while I'm confessing it, I am picturing myself as a miserable, low-down sinner. And guess what? The picture always wins over whatever you say. So not only do I need to say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I need to picture myself with this beautiful robe of righteousness, which he's given to me, which I put on just like a woman on a wedding day. And I reflect divine glory as I walk down the path of life. And I am radiantly beautiful and empowered and anointed and kind and loving. If I see that, if I picture that, see that, speak that, and believe that, that's who and what I become. I picture and say and believe that I'm a grasshopper, like they said when they came back from the, uh, looking at spying out the land, they said, we're just grasshoppers in their sight, like we're, we're, we have no power. Well, I can picture myself as a powerless, and I can picture the Antichrist as powerful, and I can picture the government as powerful and evil and corrupt, and there's nothing I can do, or I can picture that I am seated with Christ in heavenly places, and I rule and I reign with him over governments, and they obey the prayers and the declarations that I declare, and I declare that God pulls down wicked leaders and removes them and establishes righteous leaders in their place. That is my declaration. That is my belief. That is what I picture for our nation, and that's what I pray every day. So... Oh, don't look at yourself and talk about yourself. The Bible never said, look at yourself and talk about yourself. It said, fix your eyes on Jesus, not yourself, not your sin. Fix your eyes on Jesus and talk about who he is within you and flowing out through. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. What is the scripture where it says, uh, when we compare ourselves by ourselves, there's no wisdom. I think uh, you quoted that as well. Mm-hmm. So much truth in that. Uh, we compare our we compare the outside or we compare the insides of ourselves and all of our weaknesses to what we think other people's strengths are. And uh, that brings about inferiority. And it's there. It isn't wise because God created us as individual, unique human beings of what he wants to do in us and through us. And with that relationship with us. Right. Exactly. You know, I've, I've had people pat me in the head and say, you know, when you grow up, you can become a prophet. <laughs> because of course being a prophet's better than being a teacher right <laughs> and i say no when i grow up i'm going to be a spirit anointed teacher they said well isn't a prophet better i said not better for me because god didn't call me to be a prophet he called me to be a teacher well don't you want to be a prophet no i want to be what god called and anointed and equipped me to be which is a spirit anointed teacher that can lay out truth that is life-giving and transforms lives um because now I'm functioning in my gift and my calling, and I'm not trying to be like anybody else, and, and I'm not trying to make my wife be like me. I, she's very, very different, and she has a different calling, and she wants to do different things, and the Lord has told me I'm supposed to encourage her in her unique callings. I mean, she wants to, wanted to build a Christian loan library in Buffalo, New York, you know, so we gave her half of our 3,000-square-foot building. She has built that loan library hundreds of homeschool families come there and they are learning to pull their kids out of public school and they're being trained in how to use homeschooling curriculum and do what the Bible says, parents raise up your kids. That was Patty's dream. That was her vision. It wasn't mine. 
But the Lord told me, you support her in the vision I gave her, just like she supports you in the vision that uh, I have given you. And he's told me to do that numerous times, and I have done it, and, and it's, it's good. It's, and that's weird. So I'm not trying to become like Patty. I'm not asking her to become like me. We are supporting each other's vision, and we're totally comfortable who we are. And I'm a kind of an ornery, obnoxious, bullheaded teacher, you know, that's passionate about the Holy Spirit and really down to earth and practical and a little bit crude. And, and that's okay because that's the way God built me. I'm a dairy farmer. And, and it's okay to be that. I'm not trying to be polished or be a spiritual bigwig or, or run around with the bigwigs. I don't feel any need to do any of that because it's not part of my call or my destiny. And I'm very comfortable doing what I do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's so powerful, and um, I'm I'm sure we could uh, we could have an entire podcast on uh, uh, marriage counseling and that um, comparing ourselves to our spouse and <laughs> wanting Patty to be Mark. <laughs> Amen. Exactly. Amen. Uh, that is Amen. Uh, so. That's a yeah another great thing to come to God and counsel with. Um, ask for a vision and a picture of your spouse and. Um, what uh you know the few, what what does he see when he sees your spouse and um not somebody that leaves their underwear laying on the floor all the time or whatever it is you know i don't think he's going to say that right <laughs> no that, that that's true and patty's had visions for 25 years that that we that i've joined her with you know things that god has given her to build which are huge you know and they have nothing to do with writing books you know and uh but but I, the Lord has been very clear, do not discourage her in that vision. You come alongside her, you support her in any way she asks for your support, and you help her accomplish that vision. And so for me, that's good, because I, my initial gut, carnal reaction is, hey, it's not part of my vision. I'm not going to focus there or give her any attention there. Well, she gives me attention and supports me in my vision. Why would, why would I not return the favor? You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Very wise counsel. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Verkler, for being on this podcast. I know that this is going to be a huge benefit to all the listeners. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the, the online course, Counseled by God, and where people could find that, some of the resources uh, that you have online? Okay, well, um, it's, we have it on a couple, we have it on three different websites. Of our, our main website is CWG Ministries. .org. Uh, it stands for Community God Ministries. You can go there and you can just type Council by God in the search bar. It'll take you to books and videos and audios and training module. Um, on that website, you'll see other websites listed. Um, so we have a School of the Spirit, CLU School of the Spirit. So that's a training module where there's online quizzes that go along with Council by God. So you, you can go to that, uh, CLU School of the Spirit. And um, find the course counsel by God um, and order that as a, there's 10, 12, there's probably 12, there's 13, maybe. Uh, yeah, there's 13 sessions. Uh, we're just retaping that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm retaping it next, next weekend and uh, taped it 30 years ago or so in India. Now we're taping it again. So we have videos and audios and book and a workbook and course syllabus and room that you can get in and share your journey. And I respond to those who share their journey and ask questions. So that's a, a really cool mentoring thing. And we have a have it as a college course. We have another website, uh, cluonline.com. You can go there and you can find the course uh, Counsel by God and take it as a 
three-credit college course towards a degree of some sort. So we have it all those different formats. I'd love to have you take it in whatever format is best for you for the purposes God has designed for your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, and I can attest I've taken the college courses and um, and they uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, and they're quite challenging. So appreciate all that you've done here. And uh, we will put the links in the description of this podcast to these websites that Dr. Verkler had mentioned. And uh, we thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Dr. Verkler, thank you. Michael, thank you so much for having me. Bless you.